Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Turn your Bibles with me to First uh, Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. And just a little bit of a connection between the song we just sang and the text. It says, To know you in your sufferings. To become like you in your death, my Lord. Um, That kind of points back to last week. Remember last week we were talking about slaves and masters and, and how... A slave was to be submissive to his master because it's following after the pattern of Jesus' suffering, who did not open his mouth, did not try to defend himself, did not, did not revile against others whenever he was beaten and mocked. And so we as believers, regardless of our station in life, whether slave or free, we as believers, we want to follow after His steps because of the change that He's made in our lives. To know Him in His suffering. And tonight, uh, Peter is continuing on with the household code of how we are to live in different stations in life. He had told us a couple of weeks ago we looked at how we are to be submissive to our government, We're to be submissive to all those in authority. And last week we looked at how uh, servants and masters were to relate to each other. And and that is all applicable to all believers. All of us should want to be like Jesus in His suffering. Uh, Suffering, one of the, the, the themes throughout 1 Peter is that suffering is the pathway to glory. We, we as, as believers here in this world, are strangers and aliens. We live in a hostile world that is against us. And, and it's only getting more hostile. Is it or is it not? It's been hostile ever since God proclaimed that there was a war between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And there was enmity between the two. And Jesus came as the seed of the woman who came and crushed the serpent's head. The battle is won. But it feels so much like it's getting harder and harder. And it's so much to Peter's readers, original readers, maybe it felt like it was getting harder and harder and harder. And they had to be reminded, God holds on to you. (laughs) Right? That's one of the things we praise Him for. Not only do we have this wonderful, glorious hope in the future, but also He holds on to us when we feel like we can't hold on any longer. He holds on to us and He protects us. He guards us by His power. And tonight, we're looking at wives and husbands. Now, now, (laughs) hopefully... We, we don't consider this an object of suffering. <laughs> Although, many have. Many have. Um, P- 
Peter here addresses wives primarily, but he also addresses husbands. He spends six verses talking to wives, and he only speaks one verse to husbands. Doesn't that seem a little unfair? Yet, it's because just like all of the other things he addresses, he's primarily focusing on those that are uh, in danger of being oppressed. Right? He, 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 believers have the danger of being oppressed by the government. You had Caesars who wanted to cause people to have to bow down and worship Him. And believers will say, no, we only have one Lord, that's Jesus. And slaves would be in danger of being oppressed by their masters. And so he spends this time talking to to, uh, believing servants and telling them how they live in that. And the majority of this verse is talking to wives because that seems to be where the danger of being under oppression might be. Okay? That's, That's why he spends so much time. And he does not talk to husbands so much because the pattern that he's been following is he's saying, just like Jesus suffered, so when you, whatever station you're in, whether you're a wife or a husband, whether you're slave or free, whatever condition in life you are, you look to Jesus, you see His example, and that gives us the strength to keep on going in the midst of oppressive circumstances. Let's look at our text. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct... Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now wanting to understand and know your word. Lord, your word endures forever. Your word is not changing like the times. But your word endures forever. It is perfect. It is satisfying to our souls. Your word brings life. 
Your word causes us to be born again. Lord, help us, Lord. Speak to us by your word tonight. Lord, this is a text that is countercultural in our society today. Lord, we, we hear these words and it goes against the grain of, of our expectations in our society. Lord, help us to understand this is your word and it is good. Regardless of what our culture says, because you have spoken it, it is good. Help us to understand it and to be submissive to you above all. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. He begins with likewise. Now, Peter here is not trying to say that the relationship between a slave and master is like that of a husband and wife. It's, it's not the same. Uh, for instance, the, the relationship between a slave and master is something that was created by human beings and it's an evil institution. Whereas the relationship between a husband and wife is something that is good that God created. And so uh, in, in saying likewise, it, he's not saying that the two are the same. But he's really just kind of moving on to another subject. Just like uh, he was saying, this is how you ought to behave in this station of life. This is how wives are to behave in another situation in life. And he, he addresses wives. Like I've said, the, the first six verses, uh, this, is, this is who he's addressing. And, and, and so, as is often the case, whenever we come to texts that, uh, that uh, address wives, I, I am a man here standing before a congregation, and, and uh, uh, there can be a, 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 a weightiness and there can be a sense of awkwardness a, a feeling like I, I need to handle this well I, I need to handle this well because it is God's word and, and I want to present him well and the way that I explain this can, can have implications on how people see God and, 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 and I, don't, I don't want to get this Wrong, And I want to honor what God has said about this. And, 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 and I don't want to give the impression that, that, that I'm just saying this is what my opinion is. Or, 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 and, and there's a temptation in, in a passage like this maybe to, to try to, uh, to water it down or to, to, to kind of say, well, it doesn't really mean what it says. But it's God's word. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. First thing we see here is there, there, there is a, a command to be submissive uh, from, from wives to, to, for, for wives to be submissive to their own husbands. And, and being careful about this, we need to understand this is not saying. Women be submissive to men, right? It's, it's your own husbands. In the same way that Paul said it in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 when we were covering that. Wives, be sub submit to your own husbands. Um, this is not some kind of a general rule that, that 
Women are always supposed to be submissive to men. No, that is not what it is saying. But it is wives to be submissive to their own husbands. So men, let's not get the idea that we can go bossing around all the women in church or in society or anywhere. No, that's not what this is teaching. It's teaching wives be submissive to your own husbands. Also, we need to remember that this is a command to the woman. This is not a command to the husband to force his wife to be submissive. Okay? That would also be a misunderstanding. This does not give a husband the authority to badger a wife and say, well, remember, you've got to be submissive to me. No. This is God's Word speaking to women, to wives, telling them to be submissive to their own husbands. This is not a club for a husband to use. This is God's Word, a tender father speaking to women. Saying, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And we might get the idea that he's only talking about in believing families, in believing couples. And so Peter says, so that even if some do not obey the word, or yeah, even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So he's not just talking about Christian husbands. Now, he says, even if, so we're assuming that, that, uh, that maybe most of the husbands of the wives that he's addressing would be believers, and, but, but he's saying it's not just if those are believers. Not only believing husbands, but also those who are disobedient to the Word. When it says here, disobedient to the Word, it's, it's saying when, when a person does not trust in Jesus, whenever a person does not uh, uh, accept the Gospel, does not... Does not um, who, they hear the gospel and they reject it, they are morally culpable for what they do. You, they're not just acting in ignorance. They've, they've heard it and they reject it. They're being disobedient to the word. So even if those unbelieving husbands, they were to be submitted to. Now, what's the reason for that? The reason, the motivation here that, that uh, Peter gives for why wives should submit to their own husbands is, uh, even, even the unbelieving ones, is that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Now, I believe in verbal proclamation of the gospel. People are saved when they hear the gospel proclaimed. The, the word of God is what has the power to bring about the new birth. Right? We've already seen that in chapter 2. It was this, the word, this imperishable seed, is the gospel which we proclaim to you, Peter says. And so, um, here Peter is saying, they may be one without a word. So I believe, especially since it's saying they were disobedient to the word, they already have heard the gospel. They, they know uh, what it's about, and they've been rejecting it. And, and so um, Peter is here saying, wives, you don't have to keep you know, going to him and saying, oh, wouldn't you please come to know Jesus? Wouldn't you please submit to Jesus? 
But no, by the winsomeness and by the beauty of the lifestyle of just following Jesus. It says that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. That beauty of their behavior would win them to Jesus. They don't have to give a rational argument. They don't have to argue them into the kingdom. But no, they may be one without a word. They see the change that has taken place in their wife. And they say, I can't explain that by any rational means. That's something that only God can do. And they're one without a word. It says, don't, uh, I'm sorry, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So here, um, two things. I'm going to go with the second one first. Their pure conduct. Uh, they're, they're living a, a life of, of purity and, and uh, being submissive to their husband in, in, insofar as they can. Remember, even when we were talking about the, the government, I said that's not an absolute uh, statement. Because if the government commands us to do something that is morally wrong, then we don't obey the government. If, if the government says, bow down to Caesar, if the government says, you can only pray to the leader, like in Daniel's day, if the government says, bow down to this giant golden statue, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then we stand up and, 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 and we, we, that, that is a point in which we can disobey the government. But under normal circumstances, we obey the government. In the same way, slaves, you know, um, s- slaves were commanded to be obedient under normal circumstances. But a master, uh, if the master told their servant they must worship other gods, those Christian slaves would be perfectly in the right to obey God rather than man. And, and also wives. Uh, I, I think the same exception is here. If a husband wants to uh, force his wife or, or, or command his wife to do something that is morally wrong, then the same exception clause applies. A, a, a believing wife is, is not to go after the other gods of her husband, but she, but she is under other normal, normal circumstances to be obedient and submissive to her husband. Also, it, to be a, a life of purity. That's a beautiful thing. A, a life that has been changed and washed clean by Jesus. And for her husband to see that. And it says, respectful. Now, we, we might get the idea that this is talking about respecting her husband. Isn't that the idea you get? Yet the Greek word here is fear. In fear. And as I argued last week and the week before, it's, it's only God that we fear. And, and we're commanded not to fear human beings. Not to fear what human beings can do to us, but to fear God. A, a Christian wife lives that life of, of submitting to her husband, even if he's an unbeliever, not because she's afraid of him, not because she's afraid of her husband. 
And not merely out of respect, although that's a good thing, but mostly because she fears God. Because she knows that she will stand before Him and answer to Him. The final thing I want to say about this is... I'm going to get a little bit away from the text here because I want to understand what I'm not saying. I want us to understand what I'm not saying. And, and one of the reasons why I feel like I need to address this is there is this big elephant in the room when we talk about this. And that is, what about in cases of abuse? What about in cases of, of spousal abuse? Well, we know that there are exceptions given in the New Testament when it comes to divorce. Jesus Himself gives this exception that in the case of adultery, that divorce is permissible. And so, uh, in the case of of adultery, I think uh, a a believing spouse uh, has the permission for divorce in that circumstance. Not not, um, a command to do so, because many times... Couples work things out, and that's a beautiful thing as well. And it demonstrates the gospel whenever, whenever people can be reconciled when such deep harm has been done. But there is permission. And Paul says uh, that, that uh, in the case where an unbelieving spouse does not want to any longer be married to their spouse, the, the believer has the, the permission to, to let them go. To, to, to allow them to, to go, to, to, to divorce them. And they're not, being, they're not guilty of, of, uh, of adultery for doing so. And recently, um, there, there's been a, a, a new uh, position argued. Uh, there's a theologian by the name of Wayne Grudem. Um, and uh, he recently changed his mind on, on the issue because he used to say those were the only two only two uh, um, exceptions for divorce. Uh, there's abandonment and there's adultery. As he studied the text, not, uh, maybe also because of, of some of the... the you know, it's desirable to kind of look at that text again and, and, and understand how do we handle it whenever there's a case of abuse. But as he, as he studied the text, he, he looked at, uh, whenever it talks about the abandonment case, Paul says, and such cases, and such cases, cases like this. And he argues, and I think he's right, that abandonment is not the only clear-cut issue. It does not have to be merely abandonment. But those cases that, that are so, that so violate the covenant of marriage, and I think abuse would stand in that vein. That, that a, a, abuse is such a horrible and horrendous uh, act against marriage that it, it allows a woman to, to pursue a divorce. Do not uh, any woman who is, is here, who's, who's suffering from abuse, uh, or, or, or anyone who is watching this on, on the internet, do not stay where that man can hurt you. Flee. Go to your pastor, and, and if he's a believer or professes to believe, be a believer, have the church begin to uh, enact church discipline on that man. 
The church has an authority to speak to that man and say, you are not acting like a believer. And, and practice church discipline. And, and the other case, go to law enforcement and, and get the protection that you need. Do not stay in that house. First, be safe. And, and also, I, I believe that this would be a permission. Uh, now, we have to be... We have to hold on to what our conscience will allow us to do. But at the same time, I believe that, uh, that this is right. If, 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 a, if a woman is facing abuse, there is permission to seek divorce. Um, do not stay in that home and continue to, to, to face that kind of um, uh, physical abuse against you or your children. I've said it. <laughs> It may seem to go against the grain of this text. But I believe it is biblical as we look at the whole context of Scripture. And, and just like there's, there's an exception whenever it comes to, um, you know, we, we of course are not going to obey the government whenever they command us to worship Caesar. And we're, of course, uh, not going to obey an earthly master if they uh, you know, desire to, to uh, force us against our will to, to do something that is morally wrong. And at the same time, I, I think there are exceptions. So, I've addressed that. We're going to move on. We're going to move on. But... Uh, so he then moves on and he says, Don't, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, some have taken this text to say, you've got women have to dress plainly, right? You've seen them. You've seen them. Uh, no braiding, and no, no jewelry, anything like that. And, and they've taken this in a very wooden understanding. I don't believe that that, that is what Peter is trying to get across. Uh, I think what Peter is trying to get across is what is our treasure supposed to be, whether you're a man or a woman? Our treasure is not the externals and how people see us, but our treasure is how God sees us, right? Our treasure is Jesus. And, and we don't want to put, give an excess, an excessive amount of attention to trying to uh, you know, spending on beauty products and all kinds of lavish jewelry and things like that. It doesn't mean you can't wear a, a wedding ring or, uh, or, or you can't wear a, a bit of nice jewelry or just try to make yourself look nice. There's nothing wrong with that. But what it does mean is that the attention, that the priority needs to be not the outside beauty, but the internal beauty. So I believe it's the uh, New American Standard Version. It says, don't let your adorning be merely external. Not, not merely external, but instead it should be a gentle and quiet spirit. 
And that is what is precious in God's sight. It's, it's of worth in God's sight. It says, which in God's sight is very precious, like a precious stone, uh, something that is of great value. God values that, of, uh, of cultivating the, the spirit of godliness within women. He, he loves that. He, he, see that, he sees that as, as a valuable diamond. Verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. He then uses an Old Testament example, right? He's, he's pointing back. He's saying, you be like this, women, wives. You be like this because this is what we see in the Old Testament examples. And of course, there are flawed people in the Old Testament examples. Abraham had uh, children by his handmaiden, right? That's not something that's morally praiseworthy. That's not something that we ought to emulate or try to be like. But specifically, what, um, what uh, he's commending here is the respect that Sarah showed. Um, they were adorning themselves with this, this uh, godliness, this gentle spirit, by submitting to their own husbands. Uh, he says, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord... Now, this is a reference right back to the text that Jane read from. Um, we don't see all over the place in Genesis of, of Sarah calling Abraham Lord. But in this particular passage, it was, it was just a, a simple, everyday thing. It was just, you know, she laughed. And she's, she's having some humor. And, and in the midst of, of, a, of a moment of just a, kind of an everyday thing, she calls him Lord or Sir, you know, not not Lord like God is, or not not Lord like she was she was his servant or something, but but just a, a term of respect. She she treated him with respect in in just those little things in life, and and that is a thing that is beautiful in God's sight. Uh, it ought to be the warp and woof of the life of a, of a believing woman. Warp and woof. <laughs> Don't get the... It's part of the fabric. Part of the fabric of, of the life of a, of a believing woman should be to, to just be respectful to her husband. Not be talking down about it and things like that. And it says, and you are, your, are, are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, let's, let's remind ourselves of the gospel. Some have taken this. You become her children by doing these things. But that's not the way the gospel works. In fact, it says, and you are her children. It doesn't say you will be her children. It says you are her children. Just like in chapter 1. 
He gives us these commands. We're to set our hope fully on the grace. We're to be holy as He is holy. We're to love one another. All of these things on the basis of the fact of what God has already done in Jesus. He's caused us to be born again. He has a living hope, a future for us. And all of these things that God has done, that is the basis. And because believing women can say, I'm a child of Sarah, right? Just like we might say, Father Abraham. <laughs> like the song that we sang as kids. You can say, I'm a child of Abraham, or a child of Sarah. And because I'm a child of Sarah, uh, because I'm a kind of woman who puts my hope in God, right? That's what they did. For this is how the holy women of old hoped in God. They, they didn't respect their husbands because they feared them. They respected their husbands because they hoped in God. And, uh, and here, you are her children if you have the same hope as Sarah had. You can be like Sarah if you hope in God and are respectful to your husband. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. He follows that up again with, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Earlier, he had used the word fear whenever he was saying, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So, they're not to be fearful of the husband, right? But to fear God and not to fear human beings. Not to be submissive because of any kind of fear, but to fear God and not human beings. That was a lot on women. Now we're moving to husbands. Husbands. And I know we're, we're running a little bit long tonight. Oh well. I, does anybody have any place to go? <laughs> Likewise, Husbands. He's addressed the wives. Now he's addressing husbands. And I know it's only one verse, but that's the way God gave it to us. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Um, literally, that says, live with your wives according to knowledge. Now, this can mean know your wives. You know, um, you got to know your wife. Uh, and, and don't push her beyond what she's able to handle, right? Know her. Love her. Sacrifice for her. Um, no, but, and it can mean, be considerate. You know, uh, consider her, right? It doesn't mean any less than that. But also, uh, Whenever he says, live with your wives according to knowledge, that's also, I think it implies we, we need to live with, husbands need to live with our wives according to the knowledge of God. Knowing that we're going to stand in judgment for the way we treat our wives. We, we, need, we need to treat our wives, live with them with the knowledge that our Father is a just judge who shows no partiality. We live with our wives according to the knowledge of the Gospel. According to the knowledge of who God is and what He's done in us. 
showing her honor. You know, in the first part of the passage, whenever it was talking about women, um, there would be nothing shocking culturally about saying that women should be submissive to their husbands and to be modest. That was actually very fitting in the culture of the day. But when Peter says husbands are to show honor to their wives, that was culturally countercultural. That was going against the grain of the culture. Um, Peter is saying to husbands to treat their wives with honor as a weaker vessel. Now, there is nothing about say, a weaker vessel that, that, that says that, uh, that, that nowhere in the Bible does it say that a woman is, is intellectually weaker. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that a, that a woman is um, morally weaker uh, or, or of, of any subordinate status or anything like that. Probably what he has in mind here is just the physical aspect. Generally, I'm not going to say this applies in all cases, but generally, men are stronger physically than women. And, and so, husbands are to treat their wives with honor, not to be bullies and to push their way around, but to treat them with honor as, as a weaker vessel. And, and I like the picture of Fragile, not fragile as in easily breakable, but like fragile as in like a valuable vase, a beautiful, valuable crystal vase. You want to treat your wife with with love and honor like you would handle something that is a beautiful, valuable crystal vase, even more precious and more valuable than that. As the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. He told us before, we are to live with our wives according to knowledge, the knowledge of God, and the knowledge that our wives are fellow heirs with us. What was chapter 1 talking about? We have a future hope, right? We are inheritors of of, of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's kept in heaven for us, right? And here, the text is telling us there, that our wives are co-heirs with us. There is nothing substandard about the inheritance. The wives don't get the leftovers, right? They are Wives, women, are equal in our inheritance that we have. When we get to heaven one day, that inheritance that, that is held for us one day, there, is, there will be no distinction, but we will be equally inheritors of the promises. Inheritors of the grace of life. And he gives one warning to husbands as well. He says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. A husband who does not treat his wife and family properly has no assurance that God will hear his prayers. If, if you treat your, your wife poorly and, and you pray for success, you pray for any manner of things, 
God doesn't have to hear your prayers. If you are someone who's treating your wife that way. The, the way we treat one another, and particularly the way we treat our wife as a man, has an impact on God hearing our prayers. Just think about that. I'm going to close. <laughs> it's been a long text. It's been very involved, and um, I hope that I haven't confused anyone. Let's get this back to the gospel. Jesus willingly embraced suffering. Jesus submitted to the Father, right? Jesus, when He prayed in the garden, said, Not my will, but Thine, O Lord. Right? Jesus was perfectly equal with God. There was nothing that made Jesus any less than the Father. They were equal in essence. They were equal in every way, in value, in essence. And yet, Jesus submitted to the Father when He went to the cross. Not my will, but Thine. So, women, look to Jesus as your example. He is your righteousness, just like we sang about. You do this not in the basis of trying to get God to accept you, but you do this because He's already accepted you. He has given you a new birth. He has changed you from the inside out. And because of that, you look to what He has done and you emulate the example that He had in submitting to His Father. It doesn't make you less of a person. It doesn't make you any less... Men, human beings, men and women are created equal in essence, equal in, in value and dignity. And yet, God has designed roles that we play. Distinct roles, particularly in the family. And the roles that we play point back to the gospel. They point back to a Savior who didn't demand on his rights, but he willingly went to a Roman cross for us. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook.